As I mentioned earlier, I was not with you last week. I know Dr. Bob always hear wonderful things, of course. He's Dr. Bob, right? And uh, taught the Word of God faithfully, and so I'm, I'm thankful to be back. I, I don't like being away. I know that sounds, maybe that sounds good for me, bad for you. I don't know right? what that means, but I like being here worshiping with you. Um, and I didn't, just so you know, I, I'm not, I am healthy, okay? I look different because the beard is gone, right? Some of you looked at me like, what is wrong with you? All right, so I trimmed the beard up. It's, it's away. But I'm okay, all right? I didn't lose my mind and, and uh, whatever else goes with that. But uh, we've come to this passage in Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and simply, I'm just calling this message the Corinthian diet. And this passage is a passage that you could look at. Uh, normally, I look at all four verses and five verses there. But uh, I want to look at the first two verses. And, and I, I think it kind of creates some wonderful parallels, if you will. If I can get those words out of what is happening, I believe, what is happening today, what might be happening in your own life, and definitely what is happening in the church. You know, Paul has been um, writing to this church, and he has addressed some things. He began his, his introduction, and then he kind of goes into what's happening. And, you know, some people from, from Chloe's household have come to him and said, hey, there's these problems. We have division. And Paul addresses that. You know, early on in, in uh, the mid part of, of chapter 1, he addresses these things, but all of a sudden he kind of shifts gears and he starts talking about, in essence, the gospel. He talks about the foolishness of Christ, right? He talks about the idea that, yeah, the Jews are going to stumble all over this thing. And the Greeks, they're just going to just straight up call them, you're going to call you crazy, right? It's foolishness. And he just kind of shifts gears and he talks about really who Christ is and the natural man can understand who Christ is. But, but for you, and Paul stresses this, I didn't come in, in like, you know, wonderment of speech and all this, you know, ability that Paul, I would think, has to some extent, his deep theological understanding. He doesn't come with that, but he simply comes in his message is Christ and him crucified. That your faith would be built upon Christ and not upon some man, because that's the division that's happening, right? I have, I follow Peter, I follow you know, Apollos, I follow Paul, right, and so on and so forth. And he simply comes and says, this is the rudiment, this is the foundation. And he says, Christ, at the end of, of chapter 1, Christ. Christ has become for you the wisdom of God. He has become the sanctification, your sanctification, your redemption, right, your righteousness. He talks of the atoning sacrifice. This is who Christ is. Right? And so you have this church who has divisions, they have all these problems, and Paul is saying, look, here's what you have to do, you have to come back and remember, get your eyes upon Christ, get your eyes upon the gospel, right? Because these, these Corinthians are going, yeah, we have this basic, this basic understanding, we have Jesus, but it doesn't quite you know, carry weight with, with what's happening in the world. Right? We look to the world, we look to all this, this knowledge and wisdom and all these things, and we just think we're lacking, that's kind of what's happening. Remember, Paul has planted this church, and he's left, and he's, he's gotten word that this is happening. This is like a three-year span, and now he's, he's writing a letter back to them. And so we, we kind of get this idea that they've had the gospel, and, and Paul has told them as he's carried on in chapter 2, it's all about Christ. It is the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit that, that reveals it, and you have it. Right, and he takes some time, and it kind of sets up what, what is happening in verse three, because we come to verse three, or excuse me, chapter three, the first couple of verses, and it's almost like this transitional thing, and he's going to go back into dealing with divisions in verses three and four. But right here, he says something I think is quite profound. 
he really gives us a snapshot of, of kind of why they have the problems they have. He talks about how he came to you, how what you were like when I met you and, and what was going on. And now he addresses this time lapse and he says, you're in the same place. You haven't progressed at all. And they, have, they of course, have puffed their minds up a little bit and think that, no, we, we are. We're, we're kind of spiritual giants. Paul has told them at the very beginning of the letter, yeah, you're right. God has he's equipped you. He has, he has made this a church. You have, you have knowledge, right? And wisdom. these things have happened. But they themselves have looked for a supplement. That's what's going on. How do we supplement Jesus? How do we make this better? How do we compare it with what's happening and the, the great wisdom of the world that is happening? So they're, they're, they want to better themselves by going to the world that is in opposition to, to, to Christ, right? And that's what Paul has been saying. They, they call it foolishness. Why are you grabbing the world and coming in and saying this is a better position? This is actually spiritual growth here, where all you're doing is supplementing and diluting the gospel. That's what's going on. So you have a church here that is stuck. That's, that's a deep theological word there. It is stuck, right? That's, they're stuck. It reminds me of the story of, of a farmer. It's Farmer John. And every Sunday for years, he'd known the Lord for years, and every Sunday he would go out and he would say, well, I, have, you know, I haven't progressed any, but I'm established. And for years, that was kind of his statement. Everyone saw him coming, Farmer John, and he well, I'm, I'm not progressing much in the Lord, but I'm established. So one day he gets his tractor stuck in the mud, and a congregant comes by. And of course, you know what's going to happen. Well, yep. You're not progressing much there, but you sure are established, Right? And often our spiritual walk gets, just simply gets stuck. Right? And so you have, there's no progress. And Paul's telling them it's time, it's time to move on. It's time to grow. And so I've called this the Corinthian diet. I think there's some insights for us. Because I believe, like, uh, like I'm sure you do as well, that there's nothing new under the sun. We're all humans. We have moments of growth. We have moments of stumbling. And sometimes we just get stuck. So here's the passage, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read the first two verses. And he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given to us to just simply come, open your word, to commune with you, to hear of your word. And I ask, Lord, that you would allow your spirit to enlighten us, to grow us, to strengthen us uh, with, with the teaching, with the understanding, that we might see growth in our own life. I pray that you would reveal, Lord, areas that are lacking and expose it to us and give us the right steps, Lord, in which we might know you, know you more. And Lord, as always, get me out of the way. Every eye and thought would be fixed upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we come to this, this uh, you know, a lot of it looks like a transition. And Paul has, has simply laid down a wonderful understanding of who Christ is. And he has said some great things. I mean, look, I mean of course, you could say this to all the scripture. But man, if you're looking to memorize something, the first you know, couple of verses here would be great to memorize. And what, specifically what he says about Christ who Christ is, what Christ has done, how he has become this for you, right? In Christ, you see this, the, the, the championing of it in Paul, right? Stressing it to them. And there he comes to this passage, and it's almost like he, he didn't mean to, to deal with the, the, the problems of disunity. 
Right? He does introductions, and then he goes to disunity. Then he goes back to the gospel. Now he's going to step on, on, on going back to the idea of disunity again. And you see right there, kind of the gate, that Paul's saying that the problem here, it's not just that someone's not wearing the right clothes, or they don't look right, or they don't show up on time. The problem is a theological problem. You're not thinking about who Christ is correctly. Right? You come to you, and I've come to you with milk, I've come to you with this teaching, and yet you're saying, you know what, it's not good enough. Let's add something from the world. That's what's at stake. And Paul realizes the church here is, has, has the potential to slide away, slip away. They, he realizes and understands the gospel is at stake. Right? What, would, what would others coming in and looking at the Corinthian church, what would they think about Christ? What would they think about the power of Christ and, and the gospel? What would they think about these things? If we keep diluting it and diluting it and supplementing it with something from the world, will you end up with something completely different? Right? I've cooked once. I know you, how you can mess up a recipe, right? I know that, right? It turns into something different. And so Paul has this idea. You know, he wants to deal with these divisions, but he wants them to understand this is a theological problem. He comes and uses some words here that are very straightforward. He doesn't say, hey, guess what? You know, you're, you're spiritual people. He says, I can't call you spiritual. Instead, I'm going to call you carnal. And maybe your Bible says fleshly. This is how I, I understand you. This is how I know you. This is who you are. You are carnal and fleshly. And simply what he is saying is you have the Spirit of God. He never denies they're not saved. He says you are acting and operating just like the world. How does that happen? As a Christian who is born again and believes on Christ is all of a sudden start acting like the world when we've come out from it. No, what they've been doing is just what I've been saying. They've been inviting the world back in, saying this is real knowledge. This is it. And Paul is saying this is foolishness. It's foolishness to the natural man. Why are you going to the natural man to prove the validity and, and the sufficiency of Jesus? It makes no sense. You're going backwards. And Paul says, I cannot speak to you as spiritual. I cannot speak to you as people who are under the operation of the Holy Spirit. I speak to you as people who are operating out of human nature. That's what he's saying. He simply tells them, stop thinking this way. Stop operating like the world. Stop being, right, just like everyone else. You're to be a peculiar people. So the problem is not being a baby. And Paul uses your babes in Christ. It doesn't say not in Christ. It says you're in Christ, but you're babes. And that's not the problem. You know, all of us begin our spiritual journey as babes, as, as you know, young in the Lord, young spiritually speaking. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that they were staying there, and for many of them, they were actually sliding away from that. That's the problem. And so Paul is saying, we need to address this. we got to get you moving forward. And his point, if you were to just put a point on this, what in essence he is saying is simply stop it. Right? Stop being like the world. Stop submitting yourselves and behaving just like everyone else. You have been called a son and a daughter of the king. So I looked at this passage this morning as I called it a Corinthian diet. I want, you to, I want you to expose kind of some of the things that are happening, that we might see them in our own lives for what they are. We might adjust and make some changes if this might be uh, some of us this morning. And the first point, I just said the sp- a spiritual diet without the gospel, right? A spiritual diet, with, diet without the gospel is distinguishing. Now what they're doing is they, they are operating, they began with the gospel, but yet they're diluting it. They're moving away from Christ. 
So I said a spiritual diet without the gospel. Once the gospel is diluted or taken out, this is kind of what you have. It exposes us for who we are, right? Paul says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. We see his pastor's heart. He comes and he says, look, brothers, brothers and sisters. He acknowledges we are in this together. We acknowledge, right, that they're in Christ. As he ends the verse, you're in Christ, but you're not growing. I think it's important to note here that he is addressing the whole congregation. Even though there's divisions and those things happening, he's addressing everyone. Like they say in Oklahoma, I told the men the other day, I've, you know, I've lived in Oklahoma for a little bit, so I have permission to say this, but he's, in essence, he's saying all y'all, right? It's not just y'all, it's all y'all, right? Everyone, come and listen. Collectively, I like to speak to you as spiritual children, but you're not operating that way. And he uses this word carnal, which simply means you're governed by your human nature. You're not governed by the Spirit of God. You're living under this way. You're operating under this way, not by the Spirit. That's what he means by the word carnal. This has, I think, tremendous theological significance. It doesn't mean that it's sinful. Right? We are human. We do operate in capacity as humans. But when we're operating this way, we are immensely susceptible to sin. We spend most of our time without prayer or a week without prayer or coming to God's word. It's going to be quite easy for us to, to, to fall into sin, to justify sin, to, to stay in sin. Paul senses that, understands that. And he's simply saying, look, it's, it's the fact that you're carnal, that you're operating your human nature, it's, that it's you know, like one step away from, from falling in or sliding into some type of sin, and we're all liable to that. You know, we're saints and sinners at the same time. I love the hymn that we occasionally sing, you know, um, Come Thou Found, it has the line, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. When I sing that, I say, Lord, that's my heart. My heart wants to go do that. It wants to wander away. We must, right, have, be willing to take the truth of God's word to our own lives. Come and focus upon what the Lord is doing. We have this in us. And Paul is saying, you're babes, you're young, you're immature, you're operating in your flesh, you're operating this way. He's not calling them sinners. He doesn't come out and call them sin, right? But it naturally leads to what is happening in their church. It's going to lead to divisions. It's going to lead to being offended. It's going to lead to all these things of pointing the finger. It's going to lead to all this judgment and accusation and all the things he's going to deal with in this letter. It starts right here. They're not progressing. And they think they are. They're not progressing. And Paul is simply saying, this is, this is who you are. He uses the word babes. And here is not the idea of a little baby. Right? That's not the Greek word that is used. The word he, he, that's translated babes in Christ, but the, the word simply means simple-minded or an immature Christian. You're an immature Christian. Again, you know, growing in Christ, we all begin somewhere. And it's okay if that's where we're at. But are we growing? The sin is staying there. Over and over, right? In the Bible, there's always growth. It's maturity. All of Scripture is for all of you, right? It's, it's for all of us. So he comes and he says, you know, you are babes in Christ, and I address you this way, not as spiritual, but as babes. And I think this can happen today in many churches. I think it can happen where we, we have this moment where we might think that I've, I've had a moment of salvation, this, this one defining moment, and we've spent, maybe it was years ago, and we think, well, that's it, I'm good. 
And if I was to follow up with a question and saying, well, what's happened in your life since that moment you've prayed the prayer or you believed on Christ or you've had a salvation moment, what has happened since then? And too often in, in churches today, people go, well, there was this, this moment. Well, that's good, right? But what has happened since then? Has there been progress? I mean, John tells us you can have assurance in your faith. How is that? Well, you grow to love God's church. You grow to love his commands, right? We grow in our purity. We come out from the world. He says, if this is happening, yeah, you can know you know the Lord. You're growing in these things. You can have confidence in it. Is this is what's happening in your life? Or are you just simply going, oh, my spiritual life, really, I've been looking at this, this one moment. Or can you look back at your life and go, no, there was that moment. And then there was this moment, and then there was this moment. And the Lord taught me this here, and he refined me here. And, and normally I would respond this way, but man, he's doing this to me. Is that your story? That's a big difference, isn't that progress? I think it's not all of people's fault, right? You come to some churches, and pastors don't teach on things that they should be teaching on. Why is exegetical preaching so important? Because it forces me not to skip things I don't want to preach about. Some of it I'd like to just, well, I wish we could skip that one can't. It's in God's word. We have to go through that. And some, some churches just simply don't teach, and yet we see in Scripture the command, right? Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not so much in my presence only, not, excuse me, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I love this quote from Ernest Resingler. He says, Any teaching that sends Christians on a quest for a kind of holiness that is obtained by some single religious crisis experience rather than by daily submission to the will of God is both erroneous and dangerous. There should be more than one moment in your life. There should be growth. Now, we want to we season that and say, you know, the, the growth and sanctification isn't always easy street. It's not easy. There's highs, there's lows. Martin Luther said, right, you're, we're saints and sinners. You're going to have moments where you're going to go, yeah, my faith is strong. And there's other moments like, I should not have gotten out of bed today. I don't know if you've experienced that. If you're human, I'd imagine, yes, you've experienced that, right? There are real struggles. There are times we'll look upon others and go, man, they've got it all figured out. What is going on with my life? Lord, where are you? I'm trying. I keep committing the same thing. I don't know what's... I'm not making any impact. You're not the only one to think that way. Welcome to the family. Amy Carmichael penned this quote. She's a missionary. She said, Sometimes when we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, we feel almost despondent. I feel that I shall never be like that. But they won through step by step, by little bits of wills, little denials of self, little inward victories, by faithfulness in very little things. They became what they are. No one sees those little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken. There is no sudden triumph, no spiritual maturity. That is the work of the moment. Paul is saying, I, I, I see you, Corinthian church, for who you really are. Now, if we were to ask this question and, and the Lord was speaking to you, is he saying, oh, I, I would like to address you as spiritual, but more you're more operating fleshly, carnally, which simply means immature. That's a challenge for each of us, isn't it? 
And Paul, he realized he's addressing the old church, but he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't go, hey, I mean, you guys are blowing it. I got better things to do. No. Right? He invests. Scripture is always about, right, expanding Scripture. It's about your growth. Step one is identifying, distinguishing. Is this where I'm at? Okay, what are we going to do about it? We're going to move forward. So Paul goes on from this, and then, of course, in this context, it's a little rough on who these Corinthians are. He moves on to the second part. I'm saying the first part of verse 2. Uh, my second point is it's a spiritual diet without the gospel is deficient. If you're trying to go about this walk with the Lord, and it's not all of Christ, it's not all of the gospel, you're going to have a, a spiritual walk that is completely deficient. He says in, in the first part of verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. I came with you with milk, but not with solid food. Right? Milk is for babes, babes in Christ, the mere infants. And again, they have, you know, they have abandoned the gospel for something they think has better value. That's what is happening in this congregation. He's addressing all the saints. He is saying, look, it's not just your progress that needs to get going. Right? It's not just that needs to get going, but you actually need to stop what you're doing. He's going to go on from this and address the issues and the problems. And we have this tendency to come to this text and go, you know, well, man, I'm only on the milk. Now, for Paul, milk is good. It is the starting point, it is the foundation of the gospel. He came and he planted this church upon Christ and him crucified. He's falling back and coming back around going, what, what's going on? How come you're not progressing? And he's not saying there's two different things here, like there's milk and then there's solid food. He's saying the milk itself, right, they work together, can become solid food. The problem is they're thinking it's not solid, it's not enough. Right? I've heard the gospel, what else do you have for me? That's what's going on. Paul is saying, no, this, this element, this truth of the milk, it resonates and it goes deeper. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but we need to continue to grow in it. And Peter says it this way, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's no accident that Paul has spent, right, the big portion of chapter 1 into chapter 2 telling about the depths, I mean, the depths of who Christ is. We could do, you know, immense deep studies, theological studies. How is it that the God of the universe loves you so much that he sends his son to pay a price for you that you can never, and he becomes for you the wisdom of God and the righteousness of God and the sanctification for you, that's not an accident. He just didn't mess up. He didn't say, you know what I should do today is just go down and, and do this. No, it was planned. God loves us this way, and this is the foundation. And Paul spent time on this. And he's dealing with the problems, and he says, you know, in essence, milk is, is not bad. It is the good news of salvation, and yet it has depths. The point he's driving at is that the Corinthians need to give up the synthetic substitutes of what is going on. Stop looking to the world for significance. Stop looking to those outside of Christ for death. The very milk I gave you is, in fact, solid, solid food. Isn't it amazing how you can come and teach the gospel to a child? The child can, can believe, and yet we can write volumes and volumes on the gospel of Christ because the depth of it is almost unending. 
We can talk about words such as justification and sanctification, atonement, propitiation. We can talk about what he's done, talk about his humanity and how he died upon this cross. We can go on and on about this wonderful defining moment in history, and yet it's as simple for a child to understand. Paul's saying we began here. You don't need to add to this. This actually expands. It is one and the same. I think there is a real danger today in churches where people are, are going through the process. We think we have enough. We, I'm good. Maybe it's, it's just kind of a, you know, anything bonus is, is just bonus. I mean, if I, if I grow, I mean, that's good. You know, there are adults that are operating that way. Remember, Paul is dressing adult people, and he's calling them babes, mature, young in Christ. He's saying it's time to move forward. It's time to get growing. There are adults like this. There are pastors who don't want people to grow because that creates more problems. They have to actually study more. They have to teach more. We have to theologically think deeper to present more stuff. They don't want to do that. Let's just keep it surface level here and everyone's good. I'm not one of those pastors. So that's you this morning. And you're saying, you know, I, in my own life, my assessment, I'm not growing. Let me help you. I would love to help you. To encourage you. I don't have all the answers. One bit. That's a thick book. But we can study it together. You know what else? If that's you here this morning, you also have a church that loves you, supports you. We have life groups that help you learn. We have men's groups. We have women's groups who can help you and assist you. It's not enough to be where you're at. Remember, it's not a sin to be, to be young in Christ. It's a sin of staying there. It's time to grow. It's time to move forward. So Paul, as he comes to them, he's simply saying, look, Corinthians, you should be progressing. You're stuck in the mud. You're like Farmer John, right? I'm established, but I'm not doing anything. You have the word, right? You have the milk of the word, and it's solid. Yet it goes deep. You don't need to go someplace else and think, well, you know, what else you got for me? No, you're, you're going to the foolishness of the world to try to understand the depths of God. Only the Spirit of God can do this. We're saying in chapter 2, only the Spirit of God can do this. So they have a diet that distinguishes them, that's deficient. My last point, a spiritual diet without the gospel, it's debilitating. Why are we at where we're at? Why are we not progressing? Because we're looking to the world to help us. Paul simply says in the second part of chapter 2, or excuse me, verse 2, chapter 3, for until now, we were not able to receive it. And even now, even now, you're still not able. See, worldly wisdom, it doesn't matter if it's mixed with the gospel, it keeps you from growing. Corinthian church was not, uh, not growing. They had plateaued and in danger of sliding away. That's what's happening. And I think a simple principle here is the more we inject the world into your life, right, the more the world's going to take control. He says, you're not able. First time I planted with you, you weren't able for the deep things. Naturally, of course not. They've just come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's all brand new to them. I mean, the whole gospel is brand new when Paul is planting this church, right? It's all new to them. Of course it's that way. And he expects them to grow, but he comes back and he hears all these things, and he, or excuse me, he writes back to them and says, I would, even then we, we began on these things, but even now, right? I still, we still can't move forward. You're not progressing in your faith. And, and we ask that question, why are they having so many problems in their fellowship? Right? where they're not moving forward. I think it's important to, to stress that Paul says this. In essence, he is saying that the problem isn't with the gospel. Right? The problem isn't with me. 
I came, I gave you, right? Gave you the milk. This is the foundation. This is step one. I came, I did this. The gospel does this. The gospel changes lives. The message changes lives. Why are you not progressing, right? You, in essence, he's saying you can't point the finger. It's you. You know, earlier I said I'd like to read through Pilgrim's Progress. It's been some time that I've read that. And, and again, if you're encouraged to fill out a connection, let me know. We'll get together and we'll, we'll discuss through it. But I was challenged by this week. You know, the, one of the characters in John Bunyan's book is Valiant for Truth. And, and as, as Christian meets this, this man on the way, he's, he's gone to battle. And he's, he's all beaten up, but he's valiant for truth. And the teaching is, you know, he didn't fight exterior battles or outside battles. Valiant for truth was willing to take God's word to himself. Battle pride, and, right? Lust. Coveting. Right? Sins that are inward. He was willing to take the word of God and do that. This is why he's valiant. And I thought, man, what a, what a great teaching. I need to reread this book. And I think that's very important, the idea of being willing to, to look upon our own selves. Again, it's not, it's not shameful or sinful or anything to say, you know what, this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm young in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's walking out of here and going, you know what, I think I want to stay just young in the, in the Lord. That's the sin. Because God loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He wants to grow you and to develop you. You know, things haven't changed. Times haven't changed. It's the same yesterday, today, right? The Lord is Lord of all. And people have the same problem. We have this, the same, you know, struggles. And the Scripture has the same answer. And too often, we look to the world to solve these things or to justify my position. Or, you know, and ultimately, at the end of the day, all we're doing is compromising God's truth. We're, we're supplementing it. And I think it's immensely important for you as a follower of Jesus Christ to understand all of the Bible, all of the deep theological truths, they're for you. God did give us a, a you know, book full of pictures. Can you imagine the interpretations we would get? You know, this picture means this to me. He didn't design it that way. He gave us words. He gave us the ability to read and understand. And so what Paul is saying is, is we're all different on our spiritual journey. You might be very, very young in the Lord. You might have walked with the Lord for many years. But see, the same truths of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the gospel, it might be something at, at this level, you know, at, at a very shallow level for a new believer, but you might have that same doctrine expanded and be, and be eating the, the solid meat of what it actually means. See, it's not for the theologians. It's not for the, the pastors. It's not for the elders. It's not just for them. But all of God's truth is for you. It's for you to, to, to work through, read through, pray through, chew on. Guess what? You're not going to arrive. I don't know if you've ever met someone who says, I don't need to read anymore. I've arrived. I kind of got it. Right? At that moment, they place themselves above the Bible. There's a problem there. We don't. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about arriving. I love, and I cite this verse often, Philippians 1.6. He began the good work. Be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? So you're in process. God is at work in your life. Right? Assist it. We see that verse in, in Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation. Work on your sanctification. Get into it. Come across verses that bother you. Commit those to memory. Ones that you don't understand. Chew on it. 
Digest it. Keep it in front of you. I challenge our, our, you know, our men always in, in our study, and I'll challenge you, keep the gospel in front of you. Preach it to yourself every day. Keep it in front of you. Be in Christ, of Christ, for Christ. Know that you have him. You have him not in part but in whole. You have all of Christ. He's not just saved part of you. He saved all of you. And he has a purpose and a plan in your life. God's not playing games. Come to the cross and go, well, just, you know, you just, it's a game. No. He wants you to know him. That's why he gave you his word. All of scripture is for you. And too often in, in our own lives, we get, we get stuck. There was a gentleman who was, who was walking one day by the seashore and he saw this beautiful boat out there on the sea floating there, and the cells were out. It was a sailboat, and I mean, the breeze was blowing. And he just was mesmerized. Wow, this boat oh, just looks so good. And then he stopped and thought, wow, the cells are out, they're full of wind, and the boat's going nowhere. He couldn't figure it out. Why is this boat not going anywhere? One of the sailors walking by, he pulled him aside and said, look, there's this, man, look at this. This is this beautiful boat, and the cells are out. It's not doing anything. How come? Sailor easily and quickly responded, it's anchored. Too often in life, right? We're just anchored. We're stuck in, in the mud. And again, understanding here, if that's you this morning, God is saying, shame on you. He's saying, move forward. Paul is telling them, move forward. He's not going to abandon them. He doesn't say, you guys blew it. Why don't you try again? I'll come back next week. That's not his attitude. He's going to go on and deal with the problems. This morning, you may say, I'm, I'm here. This is where I'm at. I'm stuck. My, my diet has been, it's been, well, I see it for what it is. It's deficient. It's debilitating. Then do something. Find that quiet time. Open that Bible. Connect with another person in the church. Find someone. Let me help you. The important thing here is that you move forward. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word, the challenge. Lord, I know I'm immensely challenged by your word. I'm thankful, God, that you don't leave us unto ourselves, but that, God, you concern yourself with every element, every aspect of our lives. You desire that we would know you, we would know you more, we'd walk in confidence. Lord, we know this, that we are your church, your children, we are your embassy here on earth, and you've called us to be a light to a dark world. And Lord, we cannot be a light if, if we ourselves are dimly lit. So I ask first and foremost, God, you would forgive us. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us. For maybe looking to the world or supplementing the gospel or just whatever it might be. Forgive us. And help us to place you, Lord, where you belong. Help us to fix our eyes. God, allow your Holy Spirit to fix our eyes back upon Christ as we run this race. You've marked it out for us. And too often these sins that easily entangle us, man, they trip us up. So we confess them now and we ask, God, once again, place our eyes upon Christ. Let us run this race for the works you've set in front of us. Lord, we know that we need to grow in our confidence and our assurance of who you are. So Lord, grow us. Help every one of us this morning. Regardless of where we're at with our walk with you, Lord, spur us on. Spur us on. Grow us forward. Help us to realize that we are not insignificant. You paid a dear price for us. Paul is going to stress that in this very letter. We are not our own. Christ bought us back. 
Let us know, Lord, this morning we have a Savior who has shed his blood for us. Let us know that. May we be encouraged in moments, Lord, where we feel that it's just too hard or it's just difficult, whatever it might be that's keeping us from walking with you. I ask, God, in those moments, please, please open our eyes to your providence, to your goodness. Open our eyes to the work of your Spirit. Remind us, Lord, of your word. Help us realize, Lord, we're not alone. You hold and have our lives, Lord, in your hands. Let us know that. Many times, Lord, we we struggle with doubt. We struggle with guilt. We struggle with brokenness. We struggle with repeating sins. We may think, Lord, do you care? And I ask, God, that you would demonstrate your power for your glory in our lives. Not that we would be puffed up. Not that we would have any, any, any response other than praising you. We praise you. You have a purpose, you have a calling for each of us, and you desire not just to, to, to be at work in us, but, Lord, to work through us. There's a community around here that need Christ, and you've commissioned, Lord, your church to go forward. And if we know Christ is our Savior, that's our commissioning too. So, Lord, let us take that to heart. Be with us today. Strengthen, Lord, our walk with you. I'll give you the praise. All the glory belongs to you. It's all of you, all for you. And we pray this in the wonderful and awesome name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.